It's Dr. Tennant's Verbal Highs. Let's start the show with Lewis Tennant. Here we go. Guests and interviews that you're looking for with creators, innovators, and so much more. For all episodes and further info, verbalhighs.com is the place to go. Welcome to Dr. Tennant's... Verbal highs. Welcome to Dr. Tennant's Gerbil Hyenas. Welcome to Dr. Tennant's Gerbil Hyenas, a reality show where contestants play for twenty thousand uh, dollars and see who can interbreed the two most curious species and uh, whichever creature lives uh, the longest with the least health complications um, sees its breeding couple. Take the main prize. Our first season has been going for 12 years, owing to a, a dog turtle named Jeffrey, who's still kicking on. He's quite thick skinned. Welcome to Dr. Tennant's Verbal Highs podcast, podcasted from a kitchen bench in Kingston, Auckland, though that may change as I'm house hunting, as I mentioned in other episodes. Um, it all started when someone pointed out, you're not far off of what you pay for rent, being able to uh, get a mortgage. And that just seemed like where I'm from, the tough streets where I'm from, where we all had um, a quarter of one parent and ate gravel and walked to school in the snow. It seemed uh, a far off and lofty idea, but it worked out I can do it. So I went and looked at... Some open homes today, um, they made me feel quite hopeful about life in general because um, some of them in the in the apartment uh, category, mainly around Central Auckland stuff, are quite terrible and I was like, my God, how do some people live like this? I don't mean it was inhumane necessarily, I just mean that I'm set up quite well and in the scheme of things I have been in life um, and so, you know didn't really walk to school in the snow, haven't ended up living in a tiny wee box that um, an investor owns who presumably has a few. That's the other weird thing is the listings, uh, I reckon statistically if I said 95% of the listings, that might even be conservative in terms of the number that are pitched to what seems like wild and unabandoned property ownership on a large scale, um, listing headings like Cash Cow, Show Me the Moolah, our accountant owns four, which turned out to be the owners of the real estate agent, um, Have Your Kids Friends Pay the Mortgage, which was particularly grim I thought for some reason I mean not that I mean we live in a capitalist democracy I don't, I don't, I don't I've said before on the show I've, I've no issue with um, capitalism in some of its senses but the world we live in at the moment is an, is an issue with exploitation and um, you know I guess you know putting your friends kids up in a place isn't exploiting them everyone paying their way to go to uni live in the city and stuff but just the tone of the like you know have those uh, who are actually aren't as far up the, the rungs of the ladder as you have those families um, pay for another, you know, another wee um, victory in your portfolio. 
and um, presumably you could even work it so your kid, even though he doesn't tell their friends, is living there for free, but they're paying for everything. Awesome. Um, so I was asked a lot if I was an investor today, um, not in property, unfortunately, um, small-scale drug deals maybe. <laughs> it was a good look around. There's a few on the short list. I'm not really selling drugs. And um, there's some great photographers out there, I'll tell you. There's some people who um, take photos of some of those places that should win awards. There's some great salespeople too, some great salespeople. When I was younger, people would say, you've got the gift of the gab, you'll be great at sales. And I quickly realized there's a real art to it. I wasn't so great when I did it in radio, wasn't so great at closing the deal. I was good at um, looking after clients, but not kind of ruthlessly saying, look, here's the dream sign off here and I've met a couple of agents I connect with so far but at the end of the day you know they're all trying to they're all they're all trying to sell you something and that's their job and they should do it well and if they do it well you want that support along with you know your legal person and and, and so on and so forth but then there were some others man I I just pictured like you know wait you know if you're having a if you're if you're so such a way disposed you might sort of wake up the next morning and go I bought that but did I really did I really consent to buying that? Did I, you know, did I really consent to buying that? And then you think about the bad suit and look around for them, and they're off again, doing it again. I'm in the property market. Um, this week's guest is Dan Sage. He is the second in a series of who section of the show. Just kidding, but Julia and uh, Dan are well aware they're early. In their career, and I set out on the show just to talk to interesting people who are raconteurs, and I think a stand-up comedian, if they're going to make any salt of it, is going to fit that bill, even if they're a weekend, surely. And they both have. Julia was a great episode. I talked about Dan a lot in the last step, so listen to the intro with Julia if you want to hear about Dan. It's an odd way of doing it. Maybe that's a clever sales technique on my part, but I'll add a little bit more in. Um, with Dan and I, you expect to hear about uh, the instability of working in horse stables, um, horse drug preferences, uh, Louis C.K., multiculturalism, which segued nicely into racism, um, strange and nefarious video game love, which ties in with Dan's relationship or um, breakup thereof. Uh, I couldn't quite follow the amount of kids. He appeared he had five or six or seven throughout, but you'll get the gist of why that's the case. Um, we also talked about Mormon's religion and his attachment to said church. I made a Moonies reference because a Chinese person was mentioned and then Googled Moonies and was uh, relieved that it does in fact have mainland Chinese origins. Okay then, um, I'm going to have another student piece of work up in just a second. It's from Ben. Congratulations, Ben. Different flavour to last episode's student work. Uh, If you need to catch up, I have been running a Make a Podcast course for my first years, and I'm going to play some of a range of the best of the bunch. So we had a music-y one last week, so we'll have a weird kind of comedy... um, I don't know. I'll let you decide what it is genre-wise. It's got a nice feel to it, and Ben has a great, um, I think knack for even things like knowing which laughs to leave in it's just it's got a it's a it's quirky and in the best senses of quirky so carpi uh ben hello and welcome to in fortuny the podcast about strange mishaps and accidents people have had involving weird things 
Today I have with me uh, my guest. Uh, do you want to say hello, Mr. Guest? Hello. Yes, hello. Um, do you want to introduce yourself? Because I don't really feel like it. My name is William, and I am here to help. <laughs> Alrighty, William. Well, um, yeah, uh, we'll get right into it. So today we're going to talk about two things. Uh, we're going to talk about one death and one accident, and they both involve turtles. Or in one case, it's kind of a tortoise, but same thing, and nobody hate on me for that. All right, William. So, have you heard of a turtle before? Ah, uh, yes, a turtle. I've encountered these creatures before. So they're little small creatures with um, hard shells, and uh, they move pretty slowly. So, um, how would you feel if one came crashing through your windscreen, uh... Your car. I would be very distraught at the size of a turtle coming f- or being going through my windscreen. There was a woman in Florida, and uh, a turtle came flying through her windscreen. She was driving seventy mile- seventy-five miles an hour, and a um the turtle just came flying through the windscreen and shattered it. <laughs> Shocking. <laughs> So the windshield was eventually fixed. Uh, the woman was okay. Uh, she had to get treated for minor cuts by emergency services. Mm. Um, but yeah, it came flying through a windscreen. Okay. It's a picture of a turtle on the on the front of the car. <laughs> and may I ask how this turtle was flying? <laughs> what um, was it doing in the air? It likely was like you know when you're going like along the road and like um. Cars, like, flick up pebbles and stuff. Yeah. It was probably like that. Flick the turtle up. Alright, uh, that was a bit of a odd thing to happen, isn't it? Right? Yes. Yeah. I, yes. (laughs) Thank you for that insight. Alright. Alright, um, so this time I'm going to ask you another question. Are you prepared for this question? Yes. Alright, um... So, you know what an eagle is, right? They got a uh, yellow beak, white puff of hair on their head, mm. or feathers, um, and they stare at you mm, from a great yes. distance, right? Um, so, eagles, they uh, they can fly pretty like pretty damn high. They can fly, like, up to... Well, they can see, like, up to 3.2 mm. kilometers. So, they can, like, fly higher than that. And they're pretty terrifying overall. Like, they've got, like, sharp talons and stuff. Anyway, we're talking about turtles here today. So, um... There was this... <laughs> Have you heard of... Um, I'm going to butcher his name here, and I... Yeah, so his name is Achilles. Have you heard of him? Uh, yep. No, you haven't. <laughs> Wait, who? Achilles. Achilles, yes. Um, Achilles. It's, it's hard to pronounce. Um, he's an uh, ancient Greek uh, tragedian. God, I'm butchering all these words. Tragedian. Um, apparently he's described as the father of tragedy. Anyway, um, he got this prophecy from an oracle, and the oracle told him that he would actually die by a falling object. Um, so he did the obvious thing, and he went outside to avoid the falling object. Turns out the falling object was a turtle. A turtle. <laughs> so the turtle... Uh, was dropped, uh, supposedly dropped by an eagle onto his head, and that just killed him outright. So the prophecy came true, and he died by a falling turtle. Ah, this isn't the same turtle that went through the windshield of the 
past the other lady? It is probably a late ancestor of it. Ah. There's only one reason I have you here today, and that's to do some uh, math for me, because I suck at math. So, do you have a calculation for me yet, William? Um, the turtle would be going, according to my calculations, uh, approximately 250.57 metres a second. And that's very fast, isn't it? That is a very fast turtle. So, how much uh, pressure is the turtle exerting on the poor Ishley's head? Um, poor Ishley's will be experiencing um, approximately 186,506.5556 pascals of force to his head. That's a lot of pascals, isn't it? That is a lot of pascals. Um, so, that's basically a bullet turtle, correct? Yes, very deadly. Deadlier than the bullet. They say to watch out for sharks, but really you should be watching out for falling turtles. And with that note, it brings our show to a close. Uh, Thank you, William, for joining me today. No problem. And we'll see you next time on Infortuni. See how we go getting to 26 episodes for this year on the old Verbal Highs, Gerbil Hyenas podcast this is dr tannin's verbal highs welcome we're in the second year of my podcast and i got 50 eps up in the first year i don't know how i did it with everything else but i did it and i set 26 for this year and i think i'm up to about 16 or 17 so it's going to be a busy november or december so it's great to see you <laughs> it's great to be here it's great to be here um and we've just been i'll introduce you in a second we've just been sitting outside um spewing podcast gold for minutes so we thought we'd better um uh, come on in um little intro i'm with dan sage he's described in his bio as a giant pile of poor life decisions and described by brendan lovegrove as hamilton bogan funny Dan has been performing stand-up around the North Island for the last three years. I like your honesty when I read that. Do you know what I'm getting at? Not the first bit, the end bit, that you specifically, you didn't dress it up, you didn't say New Zealand, you didn't even try and sneak in Nelson, just the North Island. No, um, I'm not intelligent enough to be convoluted or sneaky or have layers to anything I do in any way so, so <laughs> honesty is honesty is the tonic of this of the dumb I find so when um so how old are you I am 33 33 so I figured that um stand up for the last three years how'd that come about um that came about for me basically it's a bit macabre but um I sort of decided at oh, in hindsight it's a bit macabre because I I sort of um just watched a Louis C.K. special, hadn't heard of him before, hadn't, hadn't really kept up my comedy fandom to that stage. And it was a sort of, he was, the way he was doing his comedy and the way he was, he was attacking everyday things, but he was doing it with a, with a sort of maligned, I felt a maligned hate that I, I could really get behind. I sort of thought, oh, you can be a bit of a dick and be a, com- and be a comedian. So Many have made a career from it, man. So I just, I wrote a six-minute set about... Um, an experience I had drinking bad up and go, and three and a half years later, here I am. Is that still in the? Uh, is that still in the set list? That's 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 the go to. That's the go to joke. That one. It's called French fingers. Uh, so starting with a heavy hitting uh, topic in the stand up comedy world, you used the word macabre for Louis C.K. Was was what he did really macabre? No, I mean my opinion is is not really. 
in the norm. In my opinion is that he had consent, so I don't think he did anything wrong, really. Yeah. Um, I sort of find it a bit weird that, you know, a few years later, Me Too happens, and all of a sudden, um, these ladies... So I'm not trying to diminish what no, they went I'm through with, at I'm, all, but... I'm, I'm with you, except... Um, just wait, wait, wait with me. I'm on the same page. <laughs> um, I don't know about consent in some cases. So I've had this conversation with a number of people. I'm not condoning um, what he did, but to his credit, um, he apologised which uh, many haven't. Um, and also, I think that, not to minimise what he did, um, nuance gets lost these days. So if you're putting him in a kind of Jimmy Savile, Bill Cosby basket, well, your argument's kind of flawed to begin with, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, it's totally unfair. I mean, it's not like force was ever a, th- a thing. It was more that... I, I agree with what he said in his apology. I didn't realise just how much of a power imbalance was in the situation in and, and his mind. And I, and I get it from a comedian's... Comedians tend to be people that think in very simple terms. So he thought, I have permission. What's the, what's the problem? Did it. Probably never thought twice about it. And then he got up and checked Twitter one morning and went, oh, shit. Which is funny because the actual act I would think twice about in terms of, like... I would, I would reflect and go, you know, if it were me... That was quite odd. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's actually, it's actually, you know, so maybe not macabre. It's more in the, and again, you know, not to minimise if someone's on the end of something they're not into, I get it. That's awful, but it is, it is in the odd category. You wouldn't like delightfully place Bill Cosby's um, actions in the odd category. No, are you old enough for the Cosby Show? Yeah, I mean, I, I was, although I was more a kid of the Fresh Prince of Bel Air. Sort of era, yeah. the Simpsons era. That's yeah. that, and Seinfeld's were really, really started for me. Um, I, I think, Seinfeld, a big, big part of my 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 journey as a comedian was when my grandfather bought me Seinfeld. I'm Jerry Seinfeld. I'm telling you for the last time on cassette from the warehouse for two man, bucks. Nice. And I listened to it over and over again, and I just couldn't believe how much um, control he seemed to have over the audience when he's talking about knives and forks. And going on a plane, like it, it, to me, it was just this awesome realization that there is this, there's this web of things that connect all people across all countries, and I, I like that. I'm attracted to that idea of being able to do that. And it ties in with his like it's about nothing. It's like you can find something in nothing. Do you relate to like because I had um I had a particularly close Jewish buddy growing up, but the kind of notion of being Jewish in the sense that a lot of American Jews. Um, relate to it isn't so much of a thing that I've encountered in New Zealand, but I, I've I've wondered if if I did a twenty three and Me test whether I have some Jewish DNA because I seem to relate to that to that humour because Seinfeld's very from that tradition, right? Yeah, you know the odd couple. Um, I think you'll be okay with the Fresh Prince. I don't think he's gonna. I don't think he's gonna go into the Cosby. No, I category. think I, I think we've we've readily been uh, Will Smith's been good enough to put, readily put his insanity on display through his children. So, <laughs> so what were you doing, bro? For the um, so you sort of said that I think you said you realised that Louis C.K. made you made you realise you could be a dick and, yeah. and be funny. So so what, what did you mean there in the first thirty years? How did how did that re- re- relate to being a dick? Because <laughs> I've always been what people would refer to as high strung, like a very sort of high energy, high stress sort of a person. It's and a, just you've got of, the you've got the Jewish you've got the Jewish gene too. <laughs> yeah, and I and I never um, thought about it too much until I'd, I'd I'd been working with horses for a while, and I'd seem to have this period where I'd work in a stable for three to five months, and I would just soak up all the negativity around me. 
yeah. until I was wor- the worst person in the stable. I go in with the best attitude and the best work ethic you'd ever seen, and every time, about four or five months, I'd just be so sick of it, I wouldn't want to get out of bed. What's, um... And I, I, I felt that I was a grumpy person, like I was just not funny. I was just, people would, I could make people laugh. Yeah. But um, the, the 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 gap between standing around in a pub and making people laugh and being on stage and doing it is so so wide. I never sort of thought of myself as a performer. Really, I thought of myself as just the sort of guy that would one day snap. <laughs> was either going to go postal or end up on stage? I get it now. So you're sort of like you're taking out your your frustrations in the form of um, comedy. You know, they say kind of that's what sarcasm is as well, like a low form of kind of frustration or um or anger what's the what's the dilly in stables what's the is is it something to do with you in stables or are they what's what's in the environment that makes them toxic um i i think it's a combination of like you, you in any stable you're working with between five and ten other people and you're just in each other's faces for 16 hours a day it's a split shift most of the time everyone gets like one and a half days off a fortnight um it's not very well paid um, is, it, is it wealthy people who need their horses um, kept up? Yeah, most most racehorse owners are at the, the very least middle middle wealth. Um, some people own like eighteen eight percent of a horse, but they've got um, full time staff of. Yeah, the trainers will normally have full time staff of handlers and riders, riders um, who who work tra- work track work. Most of the bigger jockeys don't go around every sort of. They'll go around on gallop mornings and ride there mounts for upcoming races but most of the jockeys don't do the morning work that's done by other riders who are either too big or not skilled enough to really make it as you're making me think what you describe it sounds analogous to something like sharing where you're kind of in a sort of smelly little warm box with animal and animal smells all day and lots of other people yeah and it's it's it is hard it's hard yakka it's um you know especially for a for a for a ground handler um, I use um, Ballymore Stables and Matter Matter as an example. You would take anywhere between ten and fifteen trips some mornings to and from, from the stables with a horse uh, leading a horse in each hand. Yeah, uh, about eight hundred meters to the to the track. Drop yeah. them off, pick up two that had worked, and walk them back. Yeah, right. Put them out in their day paddock, feed them, and then and you just repeat the cycle for about five hours. But it was it's punishing, and that that's six day that's six mornings a week. And then if you they want you to go to the races, then you're doing a sixteen hour day for about fifty dollars. Really? So the, Are you allowed to wear headphones while you're doing all that walking and stuff? You can, but uh, it's not—it's uh, not something I'd advise. Horses, horses are very plugged into the environment around them, True. especially if you're walking them around in right. the dark. You yeah. need to—you need to sort of be able to think forward, sort of spot hazards before they come up. It's like like per- birds that uh, birds that like to crouch down in the in the so rough, and wa- or rabbits that wait until you ride on top of them and go and take off, and the horse jumps on your foot, and then you lose one and. That's sounds, when sounds, does bad. not sound like a job for a pot smoker. You'd be, um, you'd, you'd be paranoid. No, but I, I managed that somehow. Oh. <laughs> okay, um, <laughs> they don't drug te- they don't drug test the staff, which is weird because they drug test all the horses. Really, which is, which is very strange. I suppose, I suppose, far and it's, um, that's I suppose where far I, lap set that precedent, didn't he or she? Yeah, I, I mean, I picked that that habit up in the racing industry just because it was so prevalent when I was in it. It's probably not so much now because it seems now the industry's. Um, very much populated by for- foreigners, foreign people from other countries yeah. that come here to work. There's a, you know, at some point you wake up and you realise I could be in a petrol station, yeah, um, pumping gas for better money for a forty hour week and two days off and breaks and all sorts of, li- um, you know, because out out in the country and dairy farms as well, that those osherals, a lot of those rules around how you treat your workers, they don't exist. Right outside so, of so cities, an, so. an, an, analogous to like fishing boats, where suddenly you're in. 
the Wild West. Yeah. So what an interesting combination, because I'd imagine the drug of choice for horses would be amphetamines. So you've got these very stoned humans <laughs> and these very up-for-it horses. Um, well, they don't. you wouldn't get away with putting amphetamines in it. Uh, there are... But that's I, what they'd be, te- that's what they'd be tested things, for, right? Yeah. Like, this, you know, greyhounds and cocaine and, and vets and stuff like that. Yeah, I mean, Surely there's, there's a lot of shady things that do do, do go on in, in racing stables. And, 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 and this sort of, like, was coming up in the comedy scene a couple of weeks ago. There were a few comedians going, you know, the horse died in the Melbourne Cup. Yeah. And they're going, oh, ban horse racing. Why should we race them for our entertainment? And I was sort of thinking, well, it's a bit unfair. But the worst part about that whole thing is that it's often the biggest stables, the, the guys with the most money and the, yeah. and, and the least, you know, they could lose for a year straight and they're still rich beyond your wildest dreams. Oh, absolutely. It takes um, one big win, right? Yep. They're, they're, the ones, they're the ones that uh, quite often are doing the dodgy things. Which um, I'm, I'm glad, I don't think they're they're big amongst your listenership, so I should be fine for lawsuits. You'd, you'd be surprised. Um, so, but a lot of people do take really good care of their horses, and that's what I hated when I saw them going, "Oh, get rid of this industry." It's like yeah. in this country alone, it employs nearly fifty thousand people. What's the whole thing? It just takes so, it just takes one bad egg, doesn't it? Yeah. And um, so you made, made me realise the way you're talking about you know horses and um, not wearing your Walkman and so on that. Um, that, that horse whisperer thing is, is is really a thing. So you struggled with sort of the the um, the tightly packed in humans, but um, did you come to the job through um, you know an attraction? Not an attraction. That sounds a bit dodgy. Through a love <laughs> through a love of horses. Move over, Louis C.K. Got, got a double act coming to the uh, classic tonight. Um, did you? Did, yeah, was it? A, was it? A, was it? A, you know, a, an attraction, <laughs> a um, love of horses. Uh, not not so much as a as a general love of animals. Um, I, my my grandparents raised me, and they and they bred boxers. So I grew up around boxers, which are notoriously difficult to train because they're just giant. They grow into big kids, yeah. um, with very little impulse control. So it takes yeah. very sort of. Um, structured training from a very young age to make them really really good you can you can have a decent boxer but it'll still be one you couldn't let off a lead because it's just they go a little Sound bit like a lot of my friends actually <laughs> um, so um do you like one-liners in comedy um i i like all comedy that's 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 just laugh out loud funny the ones the ones that really just take you by surprise is how hard you laugh at them i don't really have a set style myself well this is so um, this really... is this is not great but you said you typically last three to five months um, in that job, and I thought that's not a very stable job. That's all I got. Um, I was just thinking, as you said that, it's sort of not dissimilar from how um, you get the job as Australian Prime Minister. You hold it for about three to five months, yeah, and then you get axed. That's right. With 16 angry people in a dirty, smelly room. <laughs> Um, so, are you born and bred Hamiltonian? Because you've driven up from there to do shows tonight, right? Yep, yep. Revelry and Big Wednesday at the Classic tonight, doing some new material. Um, yeah, no, I was born in Rotorua yeah. and uh, went to was sent to live with my grandparents when I was about eighteen months old. So mostly Hamilton, Hamilton raised and reared, but born in Rotorua. What did the folks do to move from Rotorua to the Tron? Oh, they were always there. It's, um, I was a product of rather extremely young parents in the mid eighties. They were both fifteen. So fifteen. So, yeah. Wow. Um, they were, weren't very capable. So my grandparents stepped up, and yeah. um, back then they just they just saw it as their thing. I just sort of grew up not really knowing about it until I was sort of 10, 11. <laughs> and have, if it's not too personal, have they kind of, like, with age, kind of sorted it out now and then back in your life a bit more? Or your, your, my, your birth parents? Oh, my birth parents, yeah. My, yeah. Um, my father actually looks after my kids at the moment. Um, there's another 
whole nother story. So how, <laughs> how old did you say you are? I'm 33. 33, so fucking hell. I'm halfway in between you and your dad's age. That's really <laughs> odd. Because mum had me at 19, I thought you were going to hit me with that. Because when I grew up, I mean, 15 is a lot younger. But you know when you're a kid, because I, I, um, mum ditched dad for a number of reasons, and um, it was just like, oh, my mum's always the youngest mum. She's 19, she's 19. And then when I got past 19, I was like... My brains were falling out of my head when I was 19, you yep. know? And so your grandparents were based in Hamilton. Yep. Where'd you go to school there? I uh, went to Insole Avenue School. Shouts to Insole Avenue. <laughs> that, was, <laughs> that was the first part of primary school. Um, Enderley is a suburb I grew up in, yep. in Hamilton, uh, is where I, I didn't grow up knowing anything about... Uh, white privilege or anything like that, because in, in our neighbourhood we were we were the minority. Yeah. Um, so we were. I very much grew up, and I attribute. Well, plus, I don't think the term had been coined yet. But I no, hear you. Yeah, yeah, no, yeah. Like, yeah, but like back then in New Zealand, there was a whole. It was, it yeah. was just way worse. Like yeah. some of the stuff you see, um, especially in their um, biopic about Billy T. James, about yeah. you know people coming up to him going, "Oh, I don't normally like Maoris, but yeah. you're all yeah. right." That sort of yeah. crap. Like that never that never happened, and I sort of grew up in such a. Um, multicolored, multicultural yeah. environment that I never yeah. really learned. South Park taught me what racism was because yeah. before that it was just people who, just, you know, these people talk different to these ones, but you yeah. can understand them all. And um, sounds similar, man. Like people talk about multicultural Auckland and stuff now. And um, again, I'm a bit older than you, but I grew up. Let's say if growing up, you know, your childhood and then your teenage years, I was. Um, you know, under 12 in the 80s, and then I was teenage through the 90s. And, yeah, same thing. I grew up, I don't know if you spent much time in Wellington, but I grew up sort of on the cusp of Lyle Bay and Coburnie, and all my school photos are like Indian, Greek, Chinese, Maori, Samoan. Um, good way to grow up. Mm. Yeah. And that's why the racism in general doesn't make any sense to me. And, and that's even though I understand it from a, from a technical standpoint. Like, I understand how, like, 200 years ago, it was probably still, in an evolutionary sense, quite an unnecessary function. Because if you yeah. saw someone, if you were out in the wilderness and saw someone that looked different to you, there was a good chance you were in trouble. So I get that, but I don't get why it's taken us 150, 200 years of knowing that it's wrong to still, still in parts of the world, have it just be rife. So, yeah. What is it? It's... Um it's fear, it's um, ignorance, it's um, an unwillingness to try new things. It's a whole bunch of things, isn't it? And it's taught too. It's one of the few things about us um, humans that we don't, we wouldn't develop. Nat- we wouldn't develop naturally. We, we, in in places in parts of society, it's a learned behaviour and it's handed down. Just like some of the, um, you know, I've grew up with kids who had parents that just sat in the shed and drank all the time, yeah. and now their parents have kids. Yeah. And they sit in the shed and they drink all the yeah. time, and it's not because they're necessarily bad people. It's just because that's all they know. Yeah. And they and they were taught to set their sights low, so they've never gone. They got what they wanted, and that's it. That's, that's really insightful. Yeah, I know what you said. Like I was thinking, I'm sort of painting like I was in this multicultural paradise as I grew up. Like still through high school and 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 um, uni and stuff. Um, pretty white. Uh, yeah, pretty white clique I was in in general. Usual sort of like. New Zealand then, um, Māori and so on. But when I think about it now, if, I, if I'm a bit more, not honest about it, but I've noticed with, because I told you before I teach, with my first years now, it's much more natural for um, a bunch of friends or a table of people there just to be kind of, um, you know, one from each category kind of a thing. 
Um, and so I've noticed that change from when I was at uni and school, that they're just kind of growing up in this sort of like, um, you know, roses box of, are you an only child? I'd imagine you would be um, with... Um, n- technically, no. I've actually... <laughs> Uh, my mother was a very busy lady. I've actually got three half siblings. One, one who I've actually never met, um, and that. So I don't really have a relationship with. But I was raised sort of as an only child by my grandparents. So stop bringing up all these similarities to me, mate. That's really weird. <laughs> I thought I was an only child till um, what, whatever age. Uh, my dad met someone much younger, who's only a bit older than me. That's the mum of my younger um, brother and sister who are on Facebook, who I have a Facebook relationship with. <laughs> Very odd. Um, and while we're on the family buzz, you touched on it before, um, not typical these days, you have six kids. That's right. Technically, I have seven now. Yeah. Um, since I've had a, had a bit of a uh, rough year separating from the, from the mother. By separating, I mean she formed a relationship with a guy she was playing PlayStation with. Oh, no. And <laughs> his partner left him and... She went down to Napier to be with him, and they've been together, I think, four months and married now. But that's... Did you have any idea that it was going on through the I, game? Uh, I sort of, yeah, I mean, eventually I, it's what led me to sort of go take extra measures to find out what was going on. And when it became obvious, and then I found out that one of the six might not actually be my son, I sort of went, well, that's enough of this crap. She's a problem gambler too, so that was, that was an awful sort of ongoing cancerous sort of thing <laughs> but it was, was enough of a relationship that whether it was five or six you must have been together a while and yes yeah, um, 10 at 10 just short of 11 years we were yeah okay and can i hazard a guess that all this started um changing around three years ago when you decided to start doing comedy no um we, we're going to sit you on the couch now just, uh, <laughs> oh where's the kleenex <laughs> yeah uh, no d- d- about three years ago is when she got pregnant with number five yeah and that's the one that's uh, sort of in dispute um, it oh, sort of was a, a, it was a gradual sort of disintegration of um, yeah. from from then on out. Um, all all in all, it's sort of gotten to a point now where um, my my father's taken over day to day care of them, and he lives with my grandparents, and so do all the kids. Um, been on the waiting list for housing court myself uh, for with the, when I was with the kids for nearly a year and a half, and was still on the second tier down, which was a bit strange. Um, with all those people jammed in there like sardines, but that's sort of I've I've just stepped aside um, to calm calm things down a bit. It's all legal and stuff like that. It's so all I, legal. I got to be careful what I say because we got to you know it's a, it's sort of a thing before the courts and and and, and even though there's no chance that the plans agreed to and everything's sort of um, sorted out in that respect. The main thing is they're safe. Their their lives aren't going to change too much, and I'm just ten minutes down the road, so. Yeah, and um, you got a sense of humour in all of this. I think honestly, that was that was where it um, when this stuff really kicked off around yeah. the end end of last year, yeah. start of this year. Uh, it's when I went down to Palmerston North and had just had the three or four best shows of my life down there for the Comedy Hub boys down there, um, and and I realised that the more pressure was going on me, the more I was letting go on this on stage and being more in the moment. And in, and in that time, I've gone from getting nervous before I perform to just ready to do it and and just loving it a lot more so i think honestly pressure pressure made made me a better comedian i sort of wished there had been a cheaper price to pay uh <laughs> but 
but you know, a lot of people have to settle for a worse deal in life than I've gotten. So I'm, I'm pretty yeah, grateful good attitude. for what I have That's right. here. Glass um, half full. Well, you know, you said you got a um, you know a sense of humour about it. So um, I'll say, you know, with that family story, so well done for reinforcing um, every stereotype of the Hamiltonian. <laughs> Uh, yes, I had to go through a decontamination shower on the way in here. That's right. Just because, just to get rid of the airborne ones. As long as I don't cough, you're safe. Uh, why does Hamilton like? I mean, it's sort of like it's harmless, right? It's it it it's kind of a meme. Like I see it a lot on um, Seven Days. It's just like something that someone joked about once that's become like yeah, a joke that's based on the joke, isn't it? It's it's a town down the road thing, I think, in New Zealand, because Hamilton gets it, but we mainly get it from Aucklanders. And when I was in Palmerston North, I realised this, because in Palmerston North, they all take a dump on a little town down the road named Shannon. Ah, they, Shannon. They all hate the, they, they all hate the name of, um, of that town, which is ironic, because that's the name of my ex's new partner. So it's funny, because I hate Shannon too. It's just not the town. I've got nothing against the town. Well, um, I hate to... Um I hate to burst your bubble, but when I lived in Wellington many years ago, we were well aware of the um, mocking of Hamilton. But I just wonder where it came from. It's a modern, it's a relatively modern thing. I don't think it was in our folks' generation. It's something that's sort of has been done on a radio show somewhere like fifteen, twenty years ago, and now it's like um, you know. In my life experience, I think because I um, it's a shit town meme. <laughs> it, it is, and and I think because I grew up growing up there in the nineties, it was just a boring place to live, and I think yeah. that's really the butt of, the butt of the joke. Really, is yeah. it? has been for a long time quite boring, and it even still to some extent, when compared to other places like Christchurch, Wellington, and Auckland, yeah. in terms of nightlife, it is quite boring. It's yeah. just it's you know it's twenty bars that have all got different logos, but they're all basically jamming out the same music and yeah. there's not a lot of there there's but a, there's I hear a it's changed I hear it's changed yep there's a healthy music scene down yeah. there now um, and, and we've got a budding comedy scene that we're growing um, great through uh, Dan Rowling through underground comedy and myself I run an open mic show at Navarra Lounge third Wednesday of every month there's um, a really renowned New Zealand and increasingly sort of underground global rapper who I had on my podcast who's based in Hamilton called Razor Beza. Okay. An, an African dude, yeah. I've got another, um, you know, poor taste um, Hamilton zinger now. It's we- I was thinking it's weird. China has a one-child policy, but Hamilton doesn't, isn't it? <laughs> Sorry. Um, I and- think it started on pulp comedy, honestly. That's where... Because when, when, when I think back to my childhood watching pulp comedy, that's where I really first dr- was drawn to um, oh, stand-up comedy. and the yeah, idea of, yeah. st- of stand-up being something a Kiwi could do yeah. and not just something Americans yeah, and British people yeah. did. Uh, that's where that, that sort of joke started getting it out through Mike King and Jeremy Corbett. I think they were probably the first ones to distribute it en masse because that was probably the first time the idea of it went out and it was all done in Auckland. So, it's, again, it's that town down the road. We sort of cop it from... Um, from Auckland, but we yeah. would, we would we would turn around and go, oh well, at least it's not bloody Huntley Potato or something, <laughs> or Tokara. That's a that's a that's an interesting place. <laughs> hey, so moving off Hamilton, I'm sure we can come back again later. Um, maybe talk about the decision to take the fluoride out of the water. Oh, um, <laughs> um, you you mentioned something. I was pondering uh, a couple of things. I've sort of pondered lately, and it's come up on the show before. Um, one of them that like realizing a. Um, you know, you could do it in New Zealand. I've sort of chatted about this with a few people on the podcast. I mean, you're mentioning it in, in, in terms of um, pulp, um, what was it called? Pulp comedy? Pulp comedy, um, yeah. But, but more recently with the internet, like, um, 
I don't wish I wasn't me when I came through when I did, but I look at like generations coming through now, you know, in those formative years and like the kind of possibilities or, 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 or conception of what you can do seems a lot more in New Zealand now than we were coming up at that age. Just we're so much more connected, I think, also because of like um, New Zealand's actually on the map with a few things now, like Flight of the Concords and Peter Jackson's Empire. And um, it's a whole new world, right? Yeah, Dan Taika Waititi too. I think has done his done his yes. part especially well to he comes to up raise a lot. the profile of um, especially like the way he the, the, you know Thor Ragnarok's just one of my favourite movies because yeah. of all the Kiwi humour you can spot yeah. through it. Um, I, I love I love that I love that there's a that now it's an option because I don't even feel like ten years ago when I was twenty. Okay, a, a I hadn't been through enough life experience to I don't believe be funny. Um, which is why I don't think you see a whole bunch of comedians under 20, I think. Some, I, yeah. To some extent, you don't want yeah. someone who's 19. Although um, you, get those, <laughs> you get those savant, like, gifted motherfuckers, like, you know the story that Chappelle, like, was busking doing comedy when he was 15 and actually, like, holding a, a crowd of, 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 of adults? But, yeah, I, I hear you. Um, yeah, like, you make me think, being a bit older than you again... I definitely remember going to see Empire Strikes Back. And you just made me realise, the idea of seeing a bro in any of those films, even just the concept of a New Zealander in general, just would not have ever crossed my mind until Cliff Curtis was Boba Fett, wasn't he? Uh, that was uh, Timmy Weirra Morrison. Oh, it's Tim! Sorry. <laughs> Should I hope, all you, he, all hope you, he didn't hear all you, you say that? <laughs> all you Māori actors of a... You know what I just did then? That's actually really like... And I went, ugh... <laughs> when I saw um, a talk show host do it, is Samuel L. Jackson always gets confused with other um, black actors around his age. And I actually saw one where he goes, you know, I'm not blah, blah, blah. And I was like, this is the most awkward <laughs> thing I've ever watched. Three years ago, you get um, into comedy, started doing open mic nights. Um, what happens to one in three years, man? Like, where, where's it gone for you? What's changed? How have you progressed? What have you learnt? Um, Do you feel more confident and, and better at it? you feel you're still learning? Um, oh, I think uh, all comedians are learning up until the day they're in a box, basically. I think you're always um, always learning more and more about comedy the longer you do it. I, I, I believe myself personally that comedians only grow in skill when they're on the stage. So for that exact amount of time they're on the stage, that's when they're... That's when they're in their element. That's when they're really growing those those mental muscles that sort of give you the abilities to do it. Um, my first show was at uh, Raw. It was Winter Raw, and it was sold out, and I had Louise Bovnik as uh, MC, which was very nice. I told the crowd I was very nervous, so they, so they're kind to me. And I did my first joke, and I got this just huge laugh. And I just remember thinking in that moment vividly. The I drug. just remember it. I've, I'm never doing... I'm never not doing this. No matter what else I have to do in life, I'm never going to not do this. Were you egged on by mates, or you just sort of decided to sign on up yourself? No. I paid a lot of money for these headphones not to be working while I'm talking to you. <laughs> Go on, sir. Um, I uh, no, I, I, I went. I, I went on with it when the, then I was actually solo. I was I was looking after the four the four children. Uh, there were school aged children by myself, and I had a state house, and I was. That was sort of my angle that I was coming from. So I spent a lot of my time, spare time alone. Yeah. Um, and just due to the sort of um, mental mental sort of things that happen when you're with someone who's a really bad gambler, I was sort of systematically cut off from having friends. Yeah, so right. any friends I actually had were Americans and Canadians who I played PlayStation with. 
Um, shout out to Shepherd twenty four twenty if he's listening. <laughs> um, and and I and 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 so I, I really got. In a way, those guys did egg me on, and it sort of made me think I had. Who these guys online in the game? Yeah, because I was making people from a different, whole different society so laugh, cool. and I yeah, was yeah. finding relatability, and it wasn't that hard for me. So I thought, you know, I can I can definitely keep going with this. But I think um, honestly, if I if I just been single. And being able to come up and move up to Auckland and do it, I'd probably yeah. be a lot further along now than I am. Hey, uh, man, there's still time. You're only early 30s, bro. <laughs> yeah. Oh, <clears throat> you're here now. That's, that's the main thing at the end of the day. I'm just happy to be here. But <laughs> it, 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 there, was a, there, was a, there was a sort of a hold-up in that sense that when you're looking after that many children and you're yeah. doing your budgets and that, at first yeah. it was just once a month. And I went for a year where I was working and it was once every two or even three months. And I really felt for the first two years that I didn't really get anywhere. Um, it, it really was at the start of at the end of last year, start of this year, where I started to um, really, really get my state my stage presence really started to come into its own. And when I got the late live All Stars out of town show spot, yeah, yeah. Um, it was my first paid gig at the Classic. And from that moment on, I sort of knew, okay, well, I got to keep going. I've got to really keep pushing. And and ever since then, it's just been a continual grind. And you've got to. Um, you you start out with all these preconceptions of oh I'll get to a certain point and I'll yeah. be making money so now yeah. I'm I'm recognised professional comedian from Hamil- yeah. I'm, I'm Hamilton's only one at the moment but I've yeah. got three guys who are right behind me Matthew Fleet Joseph Scott and Dan Rowling who are just right they're right behind me especially Joseph Scott he was in the grand final of the Royal you guys a little posse a little like you know you give each other tips on you know yeah we, tags and hang out and drink and whatever yeah we just we try to we try to uh, make sure that we're, we're sort of helping everyone that wants help and runs shows a willingness to sort of want to go forward in it and um, we actually formed a show called Tron Jovi this year oh nice name which we <laughs> which we took down to Palmerston North Fringe Festival and um, had a decent decent turnout there and had a good good show and uh, we did that in Patararu at a little theatre in Patararu as well, and had about forty people. So we had about half of Patararu out that night. It was, it was good fun. Well, if I can, and um, we done it in Hamilton too, and had a, and had a good night there. So if I can take you back to the you know the virtual um, you know uh, psychologist's uh, couch, um, what I'm hearing, man, is um, our conversation is kind of going full circle. Like you had a lot on your plate. For four kids, we talked about you know sort of our grandparents, parents' generation. Kind of, they just kind of did that, but it was weird. So it sounds to me like you should ride this because it's kind of your renaissance. It's like about sort of you time now. Yeah, and you found something that you just kind of want to. Um, that's, that's it, and again, um, and that's my commitment for the next couple of years is to go absolutely balls to the wall because now I'm actually free enough to do yeah. it, um, and I'm going to see where this goes. Basically, I mean, I've never aspired to. To any real fame, um, I sort of would like to get well, to the point I th- where I, th- I, I think wanting to be a sorry to cut you off. I think wanting to be an accomplished performer and do well and something that by its very nature involves being on stage doesn't necessarily mean that you want to be famous. For some people, it's a weird thing that comes with it. Look what happened to Chappelle; he disappeared to Africa for one or two years, because however long it was, because he longer, right? Yeah, because the fame part freaked him out. Um, and so it's like the it's the um, center of being at the moment so what you do a bit of work to get by but you're just concentrating on moving your comedy career forward yeah yeah i do a bit of, i do a little bit of work on the side for my friend elliot jessup down there in hamilton he yeah. um, owns game kings which is a really cool website for board games working for him has enlightened me to the fact that there are three thousand different versions of monopoly and every every universe incarnation you can think of there's roald dahl monopoly for god's oh. sake 
Like, I, I want to open the box up and find out what they called the, the streets, but I haven't... That's a bit amazing. You go, look at these pieces, look at these cards, look at these names, and then about 10 minutes in, you go, fuck, it's still Monopoly. <laughs> do, you, do you know about the Scrabble? Um, you know about the... You must know about the Scrabble... Um, uh, what would you say? Scandal um, recently, the New Zealand Scrabble? No, hadn't oh, heard of that one. Okay. Um, the way I heard it was they've released a New Zealand version of Scrabble... But all the Scrabble champions and a bunch of linguists, basically, in other words, the Scrabble people you don't want to fuck with, the professional players and the experts of English, um, are annoyed because there's like um, a whole lot of Maori words, but they didn't think about how many tiles you'd need for those different kind of vowel combinations. And then there's stuff that like shouldn't make sense in the Scrabble world. Like um, I'm trying to think of one on the spot. Like there might be like Cherbro's a word when it's like, hang on a second. That's two words. So there's just a bunch of there's a bunch of stuff that they feel. And when I first started reading it, I was like, "Oh, you fucking nerds, whatever." But as I read on, I went, "Man, they've got a point." Like, like they've just butchered this game in the name of releasing it just before Christmas to sell a whole lot of um, New Zealand Scrabble. Bro, you want board game? You want board game trivia? I've got it. So what is how does a how does a website for board games work? You mean selling them wholesale? Yeah, I think um, I'm not really down with the. I just I just sort of send out the orders. I'm a, I just do dispatch. But he for se- them, he but sells board games. Yeah, it's um, and all sorts of sort of party drinking games, Cards Against Humanity. So oh, big, big game. one for him. Um, yeah, I've really enjoyed sort of messing around with the office copy of that one. Like a lot of things, board games are one of those things that like many try, and you know, like often in op shops, I've seen some failed like board game from some guy in like you know Dunedin who tried to make a trading game like. Monopoly, but when they hit, they hit. How many versions of Twister are there? Do you reckon? Um, Is that a board game? I don't know. It's it's more of a map game, really. Um, I think there's a drunk Twister too. There's one that's purposefully made extremely difficult just to, and you have to drink like drink as a punishment. (laughs) I think that unlike Monopoly, Twister's a lot about who you're playing with. Mm. Know what I'm saying? I'd love to play Twister with Joseph Scott from Hamilton because he's seven foot oh, tall and is. It's not what I would have chosen, but he's he's, he's well, he's he, you know I I've got a different body shape to him, so I could sort of tuck in where he 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 can create arches and that sort of thing. I'm just thinking logistics here. Okay, that's <laughs> I like that you sort of took the potential erotic angle out of discussing board games. <laughs> um, so last uh, question about Hamilton: um, Why did Hamilton take the fluoride out of the water? I was going to ask that before. What did you think about it when they oh, did that? I don't, I don't know, because I'm all for adding heavy metals to water supplies. I think it should be done more. I oh, think no, you can, you're I on think the, if you can you've got the it, Hamilton narrative. If you can survive it, you deserve Fluor- to live there. Fluoride <laughs> in small amounts is not toxic. It keeps your teeth in. Well, it didn't work for me. I've, I've, none of my teeth are real. But <laughs> I, L- I don't, Lewis I, moves on quickly. <laughs> no, I've taken... Um, yeah, I'll tell you what, ever since they took the fluoride out, I can't really drink it. It's changed the taste. I it used to. I used to. No, think they've it tasted put it back nice. in, haven't they? I think the rest of the country said, "Look, you have to put it back in." Oh, <laughs> yeah. Local body politics is that engaging. <laughs> it sure do have a couple more questions. One's demographic based. Um, how many people live there? Uh, two. I think it's just shy of two hundred thousand. And is that more than when you grew up? Like most cities, it grows. Yeah, it's grown, but it's grown a lot slower than other places. Um, I think it, when I was growing up, it was just over a hundred thousand, um, and that's sort of. 15, uh, probably 25 years ago now, but it's it's only grown by about 150,000 in the last 20 years, I'd say. And I'd say a lot of those are just uh, people coming in from 
um, coming from from Auckland because the the suburbs that have grown up and sprung up in the north of yeah. Hamilton they just remind you of of Howick. They really just all the cul-de-sacs yeah. and roundabouts and speed bumps. It's sort of very Auckland-esque how it's all coming up there. Yeah. But um, yeah, yeah, that's that. I'd say is it's all northwards mostly. Um, I was trying to think about who the most famous person in Hamilton is, and I think it's probably Lisa Lewis. Do you know Lisa Lewis? Not personally. Okay. <laughs> Would you say she's the most famous person? Um, jeez, <laughs> I don't very, know. You're very sporting here. I, I just, I don't know. I'd say, I, in my mind, Paul Douglas is the probably the most famous person from Hamilton, or Matt Stelling. I jest. You know who I think the most famous person from Hamilton is? Richard O'Brien. I don't know who that is. Oh, come on. <laughs> Have you seen the Rocky Horror Show? Oh, yes. No, I'm sorry. He wrote the Rocky Horror Show, and he's riffraff in the the Rocky Horror Show, and he lives back there now. And if you'd said riffraff... he's an international treasure. If you'd said riffraff, I would have gone, you're you're bang on, but that's how how good we are, because I didn't actually know his name. I saw him (laughs) straight-faced on breakfast TV with someone very um, binary male like Duncan Garner um, sitting in a frock. And I thought, you are a very interesting man. And he was there to discuss nothing to do with the fact he was wearing a frock. <laughs> it just was. Now, when I read your bio, um, it says you do observational humour. And most of us with even a sort of a um, slight glance towards sort of stand-up know what that is. And a lot of stand-up, a lot of comedians um, are observational and at least part of their act, yeah? yeah. But what I was um, curious about is... Um, why physical comedy? Because that can conjure up a lot of different things. Like physical comedy, like Fergus Aitken's kind of a mime, or you're just very um, flaily? In, in, in a way, I think I'm just... I, I, when I'm doing the physical sort of stuff, it's more about I'm creating a miniature scene yeah. for the audience. So I'll do, I'll uh-huh. do one where, I'm, where I'll back up, and I will push my finger down as if it's a lightsaber and then make the noises gotcha. and then do a, yeah. sort of a faux run-up. And that yeah. seems it's, it, it's physical, but... Yeah. Um, no, I, to- I totally get it. Unlike some people who, like, will sit on a stool or yeah. stand in one place. Yeah. I, don't, I don't sort of make very many movements. I don't look to make movements, punchlines. And saying that, I don't... I've been very careful uh, to focus myself on not developing a style as such as yeah. to just I like so I'll, I've got jokes that are one liners and then I've got jokes that are nine minute stories but yeah. uh, a lot of them fall sort of in between it's sort of I'll take something real yeah. and then I'll just inject lunacy into it yeah. or I'll flip it on its side or nice. it'll, it'll just occur to me to look at it a certain way and then I'll, I, I always try that out on people around me and the ones where people just laugh out loud straight away I just go right and put that in the book and yeah and well that's then, the best test right yeah 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 uh, you know, there's people who master all those different styles, isn't there? Like, I've chatted about him on the podcast before. Like, the, um, you know, one line is a terrible in the wrong hands, but Mitch Hedberg, you know? Oh, you yeah. must have heard some Mitch in your time. Oh. That guy's almost like a, like a, like a beat poet kind it's, of. It's, it's insane. It's, it's this insane combination of, 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 of the words he's using, but also the way he's delivering them. I thought he was like a cool black jazz cat when I first told, heard him because it was on a CD. I was actually like, oh my God, he's white. Because he has a very, he has a very, he's kind of sort of quite an African American swagger about the way he says things. Yeah, um, and he's someone who, um, sort of like Borat, people are often tempted to impersonate, and it never goes as well. I was just thinking about doing a Hedgeberg line to you, but it, they always just end up me going, <laughs> "Yeah, all right." <laughs> um, but I carried that album around a, a lot. Hey, back to what you were saying, um, and I've heard other comedians say it like. And it's really it's interesting to hear you say that you you make a conscious effort um, 
not to do this. Like, it must be a real temptation when you first start out. You've got these absolute heroes to kind of even like inadvertently or subconsciously start being like a Bill Hicks or a... You know, so did you and have that, to kind of who are you? Who are you guys? Who are you that, trying to? Who are you trying to shake out of your um, shake out of your uh, of your um, of your act of your Dan? That that definitely happened to me in a big way um, with with Carlin and Hicks, big yeah. huge influences yeah. on me in my later later years. Yeah, and I think to an extent, sort of some Louis C.K. sort of delivery yeah. methods came in because if I look listen deli- back yeah, to my first yeah, set yeah, now, yeah, you can. Yeah. It was really, it was sort of like, I was like. Rowan Atkinson and sort of how I was trying to I was trying to dance right up to the line of being completely disgusting yeah and then dress it up in enough big words to make it appear witty and then dance back from the line yeah and so what I ended up the first advice I got from Scott um, at the classic was oh does Scott coach people does he when, when, great, you're, when you're raw night um, he goes to every raw night so he's he's there to see all the rookies um, but once you get uh, once I've gone on to do late in lives and pro shows yeah. he's almost never there because at that point he trusts you to he's seen what you're going to do yeah. he knows sort of how it'll work um, his first lesson to me was word efficiency and the other piece of advice was look at the audience every now and then because my first gigs, first probably 10 gigs, I could not maintain eye contact with any of them. I would walk from side to side. Well, back, and back, to Mitch, back, 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 to back to Mitch. He made a career out of that, didn't he? Eh? Yeah. He was terrified of, of crowds. Have you ever seen Aziz Ansari do stand-up? I've tried. He has watched, and I'm not dissing the man because he was saying it happens. He's still funny in his own right. He has watched a lot of Mitch Hedberg. Yeah, he does. A, he does his own Aziz version of Mitch. You know, Pryor originally was trying to be Cosby. Yep, and that's where he got a, a lot of his delivery from. Hey, great line! I've said it on. I'm going off on my own tangent now, but great line. I really love it because we found out how awful a human Bill Cosby is, um, and I think I've said it on the show before. But I've seen Richard Pryor's wife um, interviewed on a couple of docos. Have you heard what she said about the difference between um, her husband Richard Pryor and Bill Cosby? I'm not sure that I have. Okay, so they'd try and go over for dinner and stuff, and there was a bit of a friendship and so on going, but um, the Priors always felt like the Cosbys kind of judged them because they were, like, you know, far out, like, taking loads of drugs, and Richard Pryor did the act the way he did, and, you know, Bill was so, ironically, saccharine and clean. Yeah. And I saw this um, footage with her many years later. You know, Richard's long gone. And she said, well, you know what I always knew before even all this stuff broke? She was like, Richard was clean on the inside, dirty on the outside, and Bill Cosby was clean on the outside, but dirty on the inside. And I went, man, what do you think of this? <laughs> this is a weird segue. Actually, it's literally a weird segue. What do you think of the scooters up here, man? Oh, I've been looking forward to people seeing them into, in action. I haven't seen into, any People yet. get into two camps about them. <laughs> I haven't seen them yet. I, I sort of reserve judgment till I see them in action, but um, they look like it. They look... They look like the sort of thing that Kiwi males could easily turn into a bunch of ACC paperwork without any trouble. We just, you know, like we don't, the Kiwi male cannot be trusted with high speed vehicles in general. Just because, you know, especially, I can't imagine what it's like going down Queen Street on a Friday night when, you know, some some of these cashed up (laughs) youngsters from the North Shore swipe in two dozen of these things and go around in a gang. Some people, it was something that could be easily like hidden in a shed or whatever as well. The Kiwi were a bit, a bit rough around the edges. Look, I hope, I hope it takes off. I know people have been so sort of like funny about them. I saw someone post that someone had abandoned some in her street, and I posted, I don't think they've been abandoned by that logic. 
um, the cars on the side of the road have been abandoned. I think you'll you'll find they're in between trips. But you know, I I, I don't know. Like, um, uh, we've got to have some solution for all the cars, right? Yeah, and, and, and a practical one at that because practical solutions in this for this country's problems seem to be in very very short supply. And it's it's sort of amazing to me how no matter what anyone tries to do in New Zealand someone's got a problem with it on some level. Yeah, that's what I'm getting at. And they've always got the loudest voice. Just shut (laughs) shut up and just see if it works, man, if it's not harming you. And I read this Herald article that was hilarious because it just actually said nothing. It was like three examples of something like he whizzed past the elderly woman at 25K and nearly hit her and continued on. And I'm like, so he went past her on the scooter? And nothing happened and no one got hurt. Ban them now. Yep. <laughs> What's Hamilton's issues, man? Are they like, is, um, I suppose you wouldn't have congestion there? Um, not, not to the same scale as you get in Auckland, not at all. Uh, we do, yeah, you get, you get your rush hours, but people in Hamilton get grumpy if they're in traffic for 15 minutes. And they can go from almost one side of the city to the other and rush hour in 15 minutes. Those same people would just implode if they had to... <laughs> Had to come up the highway. Do you you think a lot of people are um, commuting to Auckland or vice versa for work now? Um, I personally don't know anyone that does that. I know there are a lot of workers, uh, especially house painters that work for Housing New Zealand, that that drive down each day from Auckland to Hamilton. Uh, There's a reasonable transient workforce coming in from the north to Hamilton, but not not really a lot of people go out of it. It's mainly if you've got a. Because if you've got a job. That's a lot of your life to eat up in transit, right? You'd have to have something good to do in the car. (laughs) <laughs> this, that, it, it, in Hamilton, if you are, you are literally going to be pretty much twenty minutes from anywhere you need to be if you have a car at any given point. It's like it's more like a, a sort of big suburb of Auckland than it is yeah. a, its own city, and it's sort very of, flat, isn't it? Yeah, and very green, very extremely flat. green. Um, where I work, packing up the board games is on the tenth floor of the tallest building in Hamilton, and just when you see Hamilton from a height. You realise just how little concrete you can see. The whole city just looks like a forest. With Good a few town planning. Good town planning. I'm like a dog with a bone with this board game company. How can this guy <laughs> be doing this when, like, all? The, I'm really, I'm, 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 I'm proud of him. But I would have thought that the warehouse and Target and Kmart everywhere have it locked down with huge parallel imports. Yeah, maybe, but I don't think they've got the variety that these guys have. These guys got can the variety. Sort of, they can sort of bring things. They've got all sorts of games like exploding kittens and. Um, I think you better give us the URL of joking, this joking hazard. Um, it's Game Kings. I think it's GameKings.co.nz. You work there. You can't think it is. You've got to know it is. <laughs> I should have. I should have got a social media package. <laughs> if I look that up and it's wrong, I'm going to forward it to your boss. No, that's that's fine. So, <laughs> as a segue um, to a scooter to transport to Hamilton to getting around the city to your touring the rest of New Zealand. Excuse me. Sorry, the North Island. Um, how have you built that little circuit up? Where have you been going? Um, mainly it was just by doing the shows up here in Auckland. Uh, about a year and a half in, me, uh, Dan Rowling, a uh, guy from Patararu, comedian, he got a gig started at Lucky Finns uh, through his underground comedy on a Facebook uh, group that he's created there. Mm. Um, and he, it was just one show uh, once a month there, and that was oh, the first Lucky, time. What's Lucky Finns? It's just an Irish pub. Ah, uh, in um, Auckland. No, no, it's it's in Hamilton. In Hamilton, sorry, yeah. it's Lucky Finns in Hamilton. Fuck, we're uh, moving around a lot. <laughs> it's uh, it's it was an, it's a nice little bar for sort of stand up. It's typ- your typical pub open mic. Some nights, yeah. there were three people there. Some nights yeah. there were 
uh, hundred people were there, wow. but most yeah. of them were there by accident. So yeah. sort of had mixed levels of success. And then not long after that, a mate of mine, Eamon Kyston, he started uh, the Navarra Lounge gig, yeah. um, which I've since taken over running, and that's given Hamilton uh, Raw Comics two bits of stage time. That nice. for the first first part of mine, especially um, Dan Rowling's sort of experience we just had no access to stage time we yeah, didn't have to drive that's for, so, so great so is it like um i might be wrong here but have you kind of all happened to kind of come on up at the same time and you're kind of building this thing building this arc from the ground up yeah so it sort of started with with me and um with me and dan Rowling, um yeah. and then we've sort of got matt fleet and and joseph scott they've come through and both gone really well in the raw quest this year joseph made the grand final at q theater uh, very, very funny man. Merch, bro. I'd buy a Tronjo V t-shirt and a flash. I would buy, <laughs> I would buy a Tronjo V flash. That's shit. Let's that's hope our comedy festival application gets accepted. Then no pressure. So I um, <laughs> so, don't worry. I know people. So um, <laughs> so, regrettably, I asked you about you touring the North Island, and somehow we're still in Hamilton. Yep. Yeah. Uh, so where have you where have you got yourself to? I've uh, been over to to uh, Tauranga. We've done a few quite a few shows over there at Mount Malik. I've been down to Palmerston North and done different shows down there for the Comedy Hub. And I'm actually going to Tomaranui in a week and a half. And are these at um, these are hot spots? And are, are, are these um, at um, comedy clubs or sort of are like are they are they nights set up where people are paying a fiver to see comedy, or are you trying to sort of like you say um, get the attention of people in a in a bar? Um, uh, both of which are worthwhile. I'm just curious. Uh, when I travel far, it's normally for gigs that are in sort of little theatres, or, nice. or if they're in bars, they're very well laid out. So sort of have a so so, have so each of these wee towns have got a promoter that'll put on a comedy night. That's great. Yeah. At the Comedy Hub, Palmerston North, is this um, crew of Ben Tito and um, Nathan. Oh, I've forgotten his name. Nathan Cross. Uh, <laughs> he'll hate me for that. Um, that that. Sorry, you don't know the name of the company you work at. It's fine. <laughs> I don't. That's, uh, THC. Um, <laughs> no, they 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 have they they organise shows quite right around the whole central districts region. They're organising right. the one in Tomaranui. They're do, they're doing shows in Bulls and Shannon and through Palmerston North. So some of the shows were um, sort of in little theatres. Other ones are in pubs. Normally, if I'm doing pub gigs, they're only in Hamilton and Auckland. Mm. Um, but yeah, that's you get a you get a you get a pretty decent mix. It sort of depends what you're doing. If you're going to an open mic night, well, you if don't people are coming much, out to a comedy night, there's that's that's in your favour to begin with. Yeah, because what you were saying before, I think, is good for your chops as well. Like, fuck, I've got a hundred people here, and I've got I'm going to make up a number. I've got twenty seconds to either win them over. Or they'll continue like drinking and doing whatever they're doing. We'll get back to um, the different cities in a sec. Got a few questions asked about that. When I had Di Hemwood on the show, um, I think it was self-driven. Like he was really driven when he first started back in the day. And they were like commandeering RSLs in like small towns um, outside of Wellington. And you know, it'd be a mix of like an old digger just sort of like half buried in his pint, a couple of young crews. You know, it was like a real uh, mixed bag. But the funniest thing I remember Di saying about it was that the radio mics would interfere with the, like, you know, the classic, like, RSL um, food orders, ready? Yep. So Di would be... <laughs> Di would be halfway through a gag and be like, number 23, <laughs> steak and chips, uh, steak and chips and a traffic light, number 23, the rest. So, um, you know, there might not be an, an answer to this and it might be variable, um, but I am curious, like, are you starting to learn that a Tauranga audience wants a different flavour slightly of humour than a Hamilton audience than a Palmerston audience or is it just the humour's the same De everywhere? Definitely. One thing I've noticed is that you have to water down some of your more 
so edgy is probably a broad term. Ribald. Your 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 edgier material when yeah. you when you come to Auckland, you water that down a bit. When you come to Auckland, yeah, you water what? it back. And when you go oh outside, oh god, we're a bunch when, of bloody conservatives. Yeah, when you go outside of um, Auckland, everywhere I've been outside of Auckland, they don't mind their they don't mind it. Hang on, hang on, hang on, back up. So category uh, six. Um, Violence, um, politics. Um, wh- wh- where are we here? Give me a. I have never seen. I have not in three years seen politic political humour work in New Zealand in but the well, New Zealand context. Yeah, well, I, I haven't seen it work, but I hear. I haven't actually but, but, been to Wellington, but, 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 but I but, hear it's very big there. Yeah, it would be a bunch of a bunch of um, it's where all the politicians are and the civil servants <laughs> and stuff, isn't it? Um, but yeah, what sort of things are you cutting out in Auckland? Like what sort of content? Oh, so I don't know because I, I it, it's sort of. The, the whole sort of world's changed on me here. in the last... Like, is it, are you eating... Yeah. No, <laughs> it's because it's the whole world's changed in the last five years. Like, cause are there I, orifices? I can remember comedians years ago, um, forgive my French, it would readily use the word faggot. Yeah. And they would use it all the time, and it would yeah. never be... And it would be laughed at. And now, yeah. to even say that word... It's not a great it, word. It's not a, it's not yeah. a great word. It has yeah. bad connotations. But yeah. now, like, in, my, in, in the last few years, I've seen that go from acceptable to not acceptable. So when I come to Auckland, I'll do this part, bit about a French doctor. I didn't know they had French doctors. I thought they healed everything with f- cigarettes, wine, and arrogance. Hey. And when, when I'm in Hamilton and Palmerston North or Tauranga, I'll yeah. also add on, it's like the time I met an Asian Mormon. I didn't know they came in that flavor. I'm not that's, I mean, a, that's nothing wrong. I mean, that's nothing wrong with that. No, you, and, you're not racist in that. No, and, and I, I don't think so. But I have had Auckland audiences a little bit, little bit vaudeville, Paul, but working Paul, club, but still, <laughs> yeah, you know, well, that's that's sort of the that's sort of the section of of New Zealand society I come from, I guess. And it's, yeah. to me, it's not. You got really, audiences pull back. Yeah, it's when interesting. I do it, so I'll I'll do the fr- I'll say that for some reason they're fine with me. You know, saying that a whole region of people never trained in medicine, but they're not fine with me saying, well, it's kind of weird to see an Asian Mormon. I grew up in the Mormon church, so I, it was weird uh, because uh, they were all white or, right, or, right. or brown. So you even, you even have a, um, I'm trying to think of the term, you, like, you have a contextual stake in the fucking joke lighten up people. Yeah. We were just talking about that outside before we started recording. Like People who are outraged when they're not really outraged. They're just outraged because it's something to do when they're not doing their mind-numbing job. Yep, it's yeah. just people need people are just by their very nature they need to they need to hitch their wagon to something and stand up stand up for that even if they're wrong and that's well, why you can if you really like to stress yourself out you can go into the stuff's comment section <laughs> on, yeah, a, you, on a you, wide you, range you, of issues. You, you, told, you told me off the mic that you actively go there, which I actually yeah. thought at the time I was like, Jesus, that's um. That's um, some self. Um, what's the expression? Flagellation is that the right word? I uh, I think it's more masochistic, to be I'm honest. Gonna... Like, I I go in there basically to see what I can come up with in the face of their ignorance. So if I can come up with something witty that gets thirty laughing faces, then I'm sort of to me it's sort of like winning the argument. Yeah, but yeah. It's more yeah. like I go in it with no stake. Like I I couldn't care less if they're right or wrong. A lot of the time, it's more about calling them out for being a shitty person. And being also, one of the I just realised. Also, I just realised with you, it's professional development. You're seeing, you're seeing, um, you know, you're seeing what hits and what doesn't. I'm stuck on this um, Asian Mormon thing. <laughs> um, now, never mind Auckland. I have a feeling that um, you've got down as far as Palmerston. I think if you drop that in Wellington, um, you'd get a kind of.
Anyway, they might not. They might not appreciate the 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 the, the fun. Well, and I think I, I think another reason why I pull back on it sometimes if I think the crowd is sort of running along that line is just because they don't know that I grew up in the Mormon church. Yeah. So from their point of view, I can see how they could see it as, oh, why is he taking a crap on that? He's he doesn't know anything about it. Well, I actually it does come. You from need a to like. I, did they give you a card like a lifelong membership? Can you like? Can you have a props box that you pull the bicycle out of? Do you, do you have an old name tag? Um, you know? I don't anymore, actually. I used to have one, but I don't have one anymore. <laughs> um, speaking of adding racing to the conversation when it's perfectly legit, legitimate and fine, um, relax, everyone. Um, you would have been only one of the only few, um, speaking of you know, talking about how you grew up, you would have been only one of the few Pakia in the... Mormon Church, they had the kind of Samoan community on lock, didn't they? Um, in Hamilton, it was it was very much that way. It was very yeah. much mostly Mo- Maoris, uh, Samoans, and um, and white. But in Hamilton, where I went in Claudlands Ward, it was it was probably a good mix, probably half half and sort of half, yeah, and then half again. But yeah, um, yeah it was it was it was extraordinary. I had never met an Asian Mormon in all the t- years in the church. Until one came to my door. Aren't they Moonies? I just should have said that because it sounds Asian. <laughs> don't worry about me, mate. I don't have to get on stage anywhere. I can, sp- I can spout this nonsense all day. Sorry, anyway. Yeah, no, he, he came to the door and he, uh, uh, his name was Lewis Wang. And he said... Oh, I mean, look, there's a joke in that. He's, he said, are you interested in coming back to church? And I went... I just couldn't... Even, I, it took me a minute to go, is this, a, is this some sort of scam? What is, what is this? Not because, because it was so alien to me. To, to see someone who was clearly, like, ethnically, like, yeah. he'd come here from somewhere else. But, and he was a Mormon. Like, it just, to me, I, and I realized in that moment, oh, gosh, I, uh, everything's for everyone. Like, all your preconceptions are just waiting to be shattered, Well, it's really. just, I mean, you know, it's, I mean, what's a good church about in spreading the word? It's like, um, you know, missionaries doing their job. And if um, they manage to um, convert at least... Um, one mainland Chinese, then you have to say that's good missionary positioning, really, isn't it? <laughs> um, but I don't understand. So, so why did a Chinese Mormon named Louis Wang come to your door to convert you when you were already in the Mormon church? So uh, I'm referred to as what's called a non-practicing Mormon. So I'm baptized into the church, which means technically my soul belongs to them. Uh, when I go to when I die, I will go to third tier heaven, which is sort of like heaven Huntley. Oh, and you're it, still in you're still th- in the th- Mormon yeah. Church. I don't right. get to be in the presence of God, but I'll get to see Jesus from time to time, maybe for special occasions. Nice. The, the whole Mormon concept of the afterlife is there's no hell. There's just the real evil people are just cast out into an everlasting darkness and just sort of float there. And oh, nothing. that's interesting. So you still go to um, church services and stuff every now and again? No, no. I just remember the stuff from from when I was in it because the, oh, the, so you're not in the church anymore? Yeah, the, the edu- yeah. So I'm I'm conf- called non-practicing because I basically don't go to church. I don't I don't even live. <laughs> I don't at, even live by it that. Sounds by like that code. it sounds like you're out of the church, but the church refuses to let you yeah. say that you're out of the church. It's sort of once a year they track you down and they come up and say, "Would you? St- would you?" And they're really they're, they're really non-offensive. They'll come and they just get, "Would you like to come back? Is there any? Would you?" Thing and if you say no, they're like, "No worries, you have a great day." Oh, that's they're, right. Very yeah. very polite at the door. Some of yeah. the you know, in terms of door, door knockers, um, 
Mormons have been nothing but fine. I do I do wonder why um it seems like there was a there was a there was a flooded market for both um um Mormons and, and missionary Mormons and you would think they would have at least um pre GPS had some kind of um marked map where they knew that you were already because it's sort of you can't it's like you can't they probably you can't have something double like, coat, can you? <laughs> they probably have something like that in a bunker in Salt Lake City under under Salt Lake City in the Mormon the Mormon headquarters. Yes, <laughs> yeah. Well, I just um. So no, that does interest me. So how did you? Was it through family, or did someone did someone before Lewis Wang, um, um, uh, you know, in, uh, invite you to the church? Yeah, it was a it was a it was a family it was a, it was a family thing, extended family. It wasn't yeah. my grandparents directly. It was um sort of second cousins. Um, they happened to move in down the street, and and initially when I went along, it was just because they did a whole they did a whole bunch of cool social stuff, like going going out to the pools and having I, barbecues. I went, and I went and, to, I went to Christian camp because it was like two weeks away from the family, and um, there were a bunch of like girls around, and we we're all hitting puberty. You know, <laughs> it was all pretty innocent, but yeah, that's right. You sort of like, um, and they do you know at night they would do it's just regular old um, regular old home brand Christianity, but they definitely do the hard sell in the evenings. Yeah, um, and it's an interesting time of your life because I think you're pretty susceptible to like. Um, but then, um, you know, I didn't realize how it's sort of like not harsh, but um, um, not, what's the word for what my mum did? Not harsh. Um, Cut and dry. I'm not sure. Um, but anyway, I brought the Bible home because they sort of um, got me on one particular holiday. And then um, I found it in the bin about a day later. She just but didn't even mention it or, or anything. Um, don't know how I, I don't know how I felt about that. But, um, but hey, I don't know. <laughs> um, I think some people would have that opinion. I, I've, I've had that opinion for my own kids. I've, I don't tell them what to believe. But no. if, they, if they said, does God get angry when... You swear, I say God's not real. Mm. I might be wrong about that. Contentious. Though. I, always, I always tell them that's my opinion. Yeah. I would. I. I just don't think. I think one of the problems with mo- kids being raised these days is that they are too sheltered from the world. Yeah. And they're growing up into a meaner. Na- I mean, this world gets meaner and nastier on the ground every single day. Yeah. Um, for well, everyone, I don't, I don't know. I don't know about that from. part, but yeah, I think they are. They definitely. Um, they're probably more molly mollycoddled. But maybe we're just being like back in my day. Um, do you are you old enough that you remember when if you were on a jungle gym and you fell off it was just concrete? Yep. Yeah, I mean shit. <laughs> I chipped three teeth going through. I thought I'd jump through like James Bond through that submarine hatch and went crunch. Yeah. Landed on the concrete, but yeah. still the teeth hurt. Yeah. Teeth hurt worse. <laughs> yeah, and it's weird. I wasn't even an adventurous kid, but I I can I can re I can recall vividly the feeling of oh man, my body just was not built to absorb concrete <laughs> everyone's had that feeling when they're a kid i know that's not where you were going with it but um you know what you're saying with your kids that's right i think um you know i think i think not um unless it's something completely batshit crazy you know not um restricting your kids and where they end up in that regard is a good thing and you know like i've thought about that with a religious study like my friend who's incredibly intelligent talented guy basically dropped out of school at 14 or 15 because his parents sent him to um, St. Pat's in Wellington, which had a really heavy you know, RE program. But it was just about pushing Catholicism. Why shouldn't, I guess it might be at some schools these days, RE should be about, here's the world's religions. You know, this one thinks this, this one does that, this one has these gods, this one has these rituals. Make what you will of it, you know? Yeah. I think religion, I, I, I've got a pretty 
um, radical idea that I just thought up in my head, but I'd actually, I actually think they should teach um, RE in schools as a simple Joseph Scott joke, which is God as an entity is not as I once supposed. Turns out God is a triangle with 9,000 sides and zero points. <laughs> I think, and then you let them make up their minds. Um, it really is tonic for the stupid, to be honest. And I yeah. say that mainly because um, some. Oh, there I was. There I, I was talking about it with kid gloves because I didn't know where we were in this Mormon church. No, no, I, 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 I remember being fourteen and hearing the prophet, uh, the because pro- there's always a prophet for the Mormon mm. church, saying that God saw him. There's always a prophet for churches with an F. Yes. <laughs> And he, he, he was saying something about how God wanted him to do this and God wanted him to do that. And I said, there's no way of no. I realized very consciously, there's no way of knowing whether or not he's telling the truth or he's completely full of crap. Mm. And seeing as how I don't hear the voices telling me how to live that all these other people are saying they hear all the time, mm. maybe this is a load of crap. I think it's good that we don't hear voices. Mm. They all do. A lot of like really heavily practicing Christians say the voices guide me all the time. I'm like, God Almighty, that's. Famous you ever notice with right like there. even with <laughs> like I don't know if you watched that thing about that cult that everyone watched on Netflix a while back, but um, you know just things like that in general. Like you know, a lot of the time, um, God or no God, good intentions, whatever. You know, a group of people, a commune, a religion, or whatever. It always ends up. Absolute power corrupts and something happens and one of the leaders is fucking everyone or someone else is like embezzling money or someone, you know, someone else is buying jewels. Like it just seems it's very cynical of me and maybe a bit depressing, but um, the human condition seems to like like I'm not even talking about religion and whether there's a God or not at the moment. I'm just talking about these organizations and where they go wrong. You know, it's an interesting facet of human society that, that sort of people with just the right amount of charisma. Yeah. You can get a whole lot of other people to go along with whatever idea um, they're selling. It's, yeah. it's, 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 it's sort of amazing to me. Amazing. Because I could never, I mean, I sort of think now, if I'd been back in, you know, um, 1930s Germany and I'd heard some angry little guy with a weird mustache going on about how everything's the Jews' fault, I'd like to think I would have turned around and gone, what an idiot. But you get swept up, you get yeah. swept up and... and yeah, there's that, something about that, that energy right? that forms between the speaker and the audience. It's yeah. not dissimilar from what happens at a really great comedy show. It's the same thing where the energy is just forming this loop. Well, you know, going... you know, um, you know, Hicks was a preacher, right? Yep, that's where he got a lot of his. Um... No, sorry, I've got that wrong. Not he wasn't, Hicks. wasn't a preacher, but no, he no, learned that. I've um... got that completely wrong. Kinnison, Sam Kinnison. So some, you know, love him or hate him. He's, he's speaking of like. Um, objectionable material or not I actually find him a bit gross now But I get why he's a legend But um, yeah, he got that bombastic um, style from He was from a long family of, I think, Pentecostal preachers Like the proper, you know, yeah. pre- performy, screamy preachers And he, do you know he went that way? He became that way um, Got hit by a car? He got hit by a car it was, yeah. a, it was a serious head injury that did Sort of set that loose in him, and Roseanne Barr was exactly exactly. You and I listen to Rogan. We like, we, <laughs> I was just about to say I'm about to steal content from one of the most downloaded <laughs> podcasts on the planet. And to that's put why onto I wasn't mine. sure if I should mention it or not yeah. because I don't want to mess with Joe Rogan. No, <laughs> uh, I think Joe Rogan's a sweetie, and I people who don't who think he's a douche and blah 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 miss the whole point. Man, he is um, one of the most sort of interesting and influential um, public voices. In the planet right now and i love stuff like how um he's got a better 
higher education than people who finish the degree I'm teaching. He's talked to experts in every single field. He's really open-minded about it. Looks after his friends. I've got a bit of a bromance. No, he's cool. And, <laughs> and at first I thought people were like, oh, you should listen to Rogan. I'm like, what do I want to listen to a MMA guy, ex-Fair Factor, like, muscle douchebag yeah but um it's just that it's that classic like you know you've got you, yeah you've got to you've got to evaluate something you know you've got to check something out before you evaluate it right do you listen to Merrill? mark Merrill. yeah uh, that's no, another one another good podcast i have done i have vein. done but i don't listen to anything religiously um, I think I think you don't do anything religiously. We've cleared that up. I, I, I think um, you know with Maron, maybe not all the eps, but for you, like essentially being a student of comedy at the moment, it's definitely worth going and listening to the ones he's done. You know, with the greats. Yep. Um, it's been a pleasure, man. We've covered a lot of ground, and um, you've been jovial with my. I thought just Hamilton's a cheap shot, and then I, I jabbed about five of them, but they they just landed so well. We we're so used to it. Yeah, like it's it's sort of like when um whenever Lovegrove will, will bring me up on stage, he'll always like burn Hamilton right before yeah. I go up, and it's sort of like I feel like he's laying it up for me to sort of fire a shot back. But I sort of get up there and go, "What do you want me to say?" I agree with him. It's you've got to get you've got to you've you've got to come in at the angle. I was thinking about it. It's got to be some retort about like maybe like you know you're at the top of your game, Brendan, like. Surely you've got more than Hamilton jokes or something like that because that's what I said at the beginning. Like nothing to do with Brendan. I'm like, I'm like, it's a cheap shot. It's used on seven days all the time. Chlamydia capital. You know, let's not end like this. Um, so well, we're not anymore. It's Gisborne now, bro. Rhythm and Vines did that. Uh, something to do with fluoride. So. Um, as I say, you're, it's good to sound like a bit of a life renaissance. Comedy's front and centre. Um, just closing, like, do you have a kind of like, even if it's mentally stored, a kind of one year plan, a two year plan? Are you trying to do? I, I of sorts. Like, I'm going to keep coming up to the classic, keep doing as, um, keep developing new material, trying to get onto some yeah. some more some of the sort of better better shows um, yeah. in Hamilton as well uh, as well as up here in Auckland. And just, I guess, I'm sort of just waiting to sort of limp. Into the area I want, I think I've got a. I don't know. If, I don't know if limp is the best word for a year-long plan, mate. I'm trying to like we're trying to like Rocky fight montage you here. <laughs> Limp's probably not a good, yeah. good word for a guy with seven kids either. But um, no, I just I, I guess I I don't really know because I've never aspired to anything. But if I can make a living from it, great. But mm. I don't really. I haven't really decided. Oh, I'd like to be a writer, or I'd like to be working in advertising, or get on the radio. I sort of well, just no performing, just performing. Yeah, I've got one, I've got one for you in the next year. South Island. Yep. Picked in. <laughs> Oh, I met I met I met a guy who runs the Kensington Funhouse in Christchurch, and, I, and he sort of gave me the rundown on how to go down there. It's just at the moment I've just got to get a little bit of financing to actually do a sort of a week. A week I'm sure I'm there. sure you guys are um, all well linked, especially with the way the world is well linked these days. But as I think about it, I do have some um, comedy connections in Wellington. So if you are thinking about going down there. Um, and you won't do the um, Asian Mormon jokes. We should <laughs> talk. It's been a pleasure. Um, I hope the gigs go well tonight. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pop on out um, and come and see you. No one's going to hear this tonight. 
but let's just pretend like it's the radio anyway. Where are you on tonight, and who are you performing with? I'm on a Revelry Bar on uh, Ponsonby Road at 7.30. That's on a Revelry Open Mic Wednesdays. Yeah. And then I'm heading over to Big Wednesday at the Classic on Queen Street. Um, that's sort of the, where pros do their new new stuff and new 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 rookie comedians do their best stuff. Yep. So it's a good yep. it's a good cheap show. I believe uh, Revelry's free and I think the classics five bucks. Yeah. So those that's where I'll be tonight. And if you're listening to this um, wherever you are, it's currently June eleventh, nineteen ninety two. Um, <laughs> so maybe better actually in closing because you know obviously podcast uh, time shift list, li- um, listen to um, just in a general sense like. Where can people find where you are playing next, or comedians sort of in general? You know, if someone wants to check out after the food you want here, um, what's the best way to find you, mate? Best place to find me or any other professional comedian in New Zealand is go to comedy.co.nz. Yeah, um, it's the basic. I sort saw of, that it had your bio, but does it have your gigs coming up as well? It, it, it will. When I've got them at the yeah. classic, it'll say gigs too. The rest of the time, it says gigs zero. But that's sort of they only sort of update that the week or two weeks before the actual show. Um, but yeah, you can you can hire me through the classic, or you can find me on Facebook. Um, Dan Sage Comedian is a page I have, or just, just that's, that's a like page. I don't have to add you. Yeah, Good just stuff. Or, or just Dan Sage, or um, uh, yeah, if you want to come down to Navarra Lounge and do the open mic comedy workshop down there, you just have to find that on Facebook. Navarra Lounge open mic comedy. Well, it's just Navarra Lounge comedy workshop. Um, um, it's uh, it's uh, it's been uh, it's been on the tip of my tongue the whole time. That is a luxurious moustache. Um, is is that uh, is that uh, permanent? Is it a stage moustache? Looks good. I'm not. Uh, it's um, you know. it's actually a joke. It's a, it's I, a joke. I I, I I I was shaving one day and I left the moustache to last. So then I went, huh? I look kind of like a big toe with a moustache. Where's my book? <laughs> and so I put that in, and now that's that's you, in the you, act. Um, and I'll yeah. often shave my head the day of a show too, just to really give it a. Yeah, toast. I don't. Um, I don't. I mean, we don't really talk about um, where our respective hair grows, but I see the beard here. Like the reason I sort of shave the upper lip is I don't believe I can. I can't. Like I couldn't do a handlebar. I don't think that bit even connects. Yeah, anyway. I'm not allowed to do a handlebar anymore because people. I Actually, you'd look good. You'd look good with a handlebar. They think I look. They well, they think I'm chopper. They think chopper. I'm Heath Franklin. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so I don't want to really. I don't want to steal his thunder or anything. So. No. Well, I think Heath Franklin stole someone's thunders. So I think you'll be fine. <laughs> All right. We'll end end there. Thanks, mate. Thanks for no coming worries. in.